Welcome to Nepal Now. I'm Marty Logan. Today is Thursday, April 29th. A few hours ago, we started a second lockdown here in the Kathmandu Valley in response to a frightening rise in the number of COVID-19 cases. I've read reports that the ICU wards of many hospitals are full and projections that the number of cases in Nepal is growing faster than in neighboring India, which of course has been devastated in recent days. Lockdown here basically means that except for food shops and pharmacies, which open only for limited hours in the morning and evening, all but essential business stops. Last year, when the entire country locked down, here in Nepal's capital, within days we saw many people on the streets after they ran out of food. Governments provided some support, but it was civil society that stepped up and set up kitchens on the streets to cook hot meals and assemble food packs for families. Kusum Tamang of Hiteri Foundation led one of the many, many efforts that sprang up in the capital and across the country. Today, we're talking to her about how her tiny organization managed to contribute so much during the lockdown and about some of the people they supported and continue working with. She also has some ideas to better prepare for the next emergency. If you haven't already, I highly recommend that you also listen to our very first episode from July 2020, Community to the Rescue Again, COVID-19 in Nepal. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, you can like, follow, or favorite the show wherever you hear your podcasts so you don't miss our next episode. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook where you can keep up with the show between episodes, ask us a question, or share an idea. You can always email me at marty at martylogan, M-A-R-T-Y-L-O-G-A-N, and now, my chat with Kusum Tamang. Kusum Tamang, welcome to Nepal Now podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Marty. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me as well. So we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, and it was announced there will be another lockdown uh, in Kathmandu starting Thursday. Uh, a repeat of what happened almost exactly a year ago or a little little more than a year ago. What was your first thought when you heard that there would be another lockdown? Um, the first uh, reaction was worry because I um, immediately the thought came to my mind about the daily wage workers and, you know, people from very low economic uh, families, backgrounds, how are they going to get by now? You know, that was the first thought. And even for people, you know, even from middle class people, it's going to be a challenge now because the lockdown had lifted only about for about four months and now it's back again. So, yeah, I think the first reaction was very worried. So I know because we've we've talked before last year, actually, I, I talked about your work during or very soon after the lockdown. So I know a little bit about your work, but other people may not. If I remember correctly, Hiteri was quite new uh, when COVID-19 hit. So can you just describe the organization and then what happened, how you kind of shifted your work after COVID-19 uh, arrived in Nepal? 
Sure. So uh, Hitheri Foundation um, is primarily a crowdfunding platform in Nepal. Uh, we encourage the uh, civil society organizations to come, come into our uh, platform and raise funds, but more than that, raise awareness about what they do. Because uh, in Nepal, there's not one platform where you know people can go and see what different organizations are doing, donate or volunteer if they want to. So we um, have this platform ready for people to uh, people and civil society organizations to use for free. Um, but what happened was uh, during our uh, work, we started in 2018, um, we started to get requests from organizations from Kathmandu, from outside Kathmandu, uh, to support communities during, uh, you know, disasters or during uh, incidents. So the first one was the storm that hit in Bara, where people were, you know, um, suddenly had no houses and they didn't have any drinking water. So we collaborated with another organization and built a water pump, drinking water pump for 61 families, Dalit families in Bara. And similarly, the, then we uh, supported uh, people in Sarlahi with, you know, uh, clothes and blankets and such things. And then we started to realize that we're quite good in uh, disaster response. When COVID hit, uh, now, I come from the social work background and I've been working in the field for the last 13 years. I like to work in the field. I like to work with the people, with the community. And the first thing during the lockdown, you know, was how are going, people going to eat? How are people going to buy groceries? How are people going to afford to leave now? You know, particularly the daily wage workers, people living on the streets. So we started with, you know, free hot meals in, uh, for the people living on the streets and food packs for the families um, from daily wage working backgrounds uh, or anyone who was in a bit of a crisis. And when we started doing it, I mean, I had not expected at all to receive such good support, such good response from people around Nepal, people from all over the world. We uh, managed to um, provide, you know, around 25,000 hot meals during that time and, and about 20 to 25,000 family packs. Um, this is how we, you know, evolved from just being uh, a training and um, a platform to actually being in the community, particularly during the disaster response time. And from that, we also started to, um, you know, uh, connect with families that we had provided food packs to, then help them with um, things such as, you know, what's the next step? You just got your food pack, but what's going to be the future like? So we, we actually selected some people. We're helping them, usually the single women, uh, single mothers, I would say, um, with tailor training or and then getting them eligible for you know employment you know a proper official employment than just the daily wage sort of jobs um, and even like you know putting the kids into schools a lot of these um, you know community members have health issues so helping them with you know visits to the hospitals with medication so it's sort of you know um, branched out to many different things uh, that we started to do to support uh, these uh, community members. Right, right. Well, it's really positive to hear about the the number of people you helped, because I remember when we spoke, I think it was right in the lockdown and you were just starting out with the hot meals. And uh, I think there was a cash crunch at some point. So it sounds like you you got over that. You managed to get lots of support. And then I was following you on social media afterwards. And I did notice, as you described, that there was 
a bit of a, a transition or an evolution from your daily work on the streets and providing hot meals to more kind of medium term and long term uh, support, livelihood support. Is that ongoing now? Oh, absolutely. We're still working with uh, quite a lot of people, actually. Uh, but what we have done is to work with uh, lesser number of uh, you know, community members, lesser number of families, and work towards a more sustainable sort of you know, support, uh, particularly with education, with employment, um, and even with um, accommodation, because a lot of these families were living in really, really um, in a poor conditions. We even moved some people into in a proper accommodation and then started to work with their children with education with nutrition and then we are training two women at the moment um, you know tailor training them and uh, well if the lockdown doesn't continue we hope to have them employed um, in in a in a facility very soon so um, in this manner we are working with families um, but with with lesser numbers now and uh, we believe this is going to be an ongoing thing in the future as well we're even looking at training people in agriculture and um, even sustainable methods, but easy methods in the urban areas such as hydroponics and aquaponics. So we're looking at all sorts of things uh, where we can, you know, support them for a longer term. Okay, great. And I definitely want to ask you in a moment about what will happen when the lockdown begins on Thursday. But I also want to really give a strong shout out to all of the organizations that have been working on, you know, so-called on the ground with people starting or maybe even before the lockdown. But certainly I really noticed the, the volume of organizations and people who started to provide support, working uh, large scale, some of them serving hundreds and thousands of people hot lunches, others working, just helping a few families, or there were, there were all sorts of responses all across the country. So I just want to recognize the work that all of those volunteers, for the most part, did uh, during COVID, or, or have been doing during COVID, and I'm sure they're going to be busy, as busy or busier starting on Thursday. You know, I read some of the stories that you posted on social media. I wonder if there are a couple of experiences that you had with people during the last lockdown or fo following the lockdown that you wouldn't mind sharing with us. Some of the people who stood out to you because of the maybe the, the lives they'd been living before or how their life changed because of the lockdown and the follow up. Is there anything that sticks in your mind? To be honest, there were so many stories that have touched my heart and, you know, many, many situations that were very shocking, even as a Nepalese person, because we never thought about um, the, the way people were living in, you know, particularly, um, I would like to talk about the Patan area, where, you know, the Mangal Bazaar area, I don't know how to explain that, but that's a cluster of a lot of daily wage working families. So if you uh, go into those areas, uh, what you're going to see first is big buildings, and they're, you know, very expensive, big buildings. But if you just go past them into small alleyways, then that's when you start to find these families families living in very small rooms, you know, rental rooms where they're paying, you know, quite a lot of money for that 
that size and that sort of situation. And, um, you know, people were living right by the sewage that was flowing by, children just playing around, you know, in the sewage outside it with no proper clothes on, no food. And, you know, it was right behind those buildings that all of that was going on all these years and we were not even aware of it. And, you know, when we took eggs or even, you know, meat to those families, the children would run up and down the room and the outside, you know, with joy, they would just start, you know, shouting that, you know, we're going to have meat curry today, chicken curry today, or egg curry today, you know, that was the situation. And we started to, uh, you know, provide hot meals to all of them on the streets in Mahalakshmi Stan Laditpur, as you know. There was another case where um, we helped uh, a young girl living on the streets um, deliver a baby. So a young girl who was uh, a minor and no nutrition, no place to live in, no, you know, guidance and also substance use. And, you know, to be able to find that person, take her to the hospital, do all of that hospital work. I think it was the span of three weeks and we managed to, you know, have the baby delivered who was only one kilo when she was born to be able to take that person to a place where she had a guardian to look after her and baby and, you know, providing all the food and nutrition, you know, it was a very big task. When I, when I tell you now, it just seems like, you know, it was just a matter of a few weeks and just going to the hospital, but it was not because making the hospital staff understand the situation, making the girl understand the situation and most of all being worried about the child day and night and I used to even dream of these people sometimes you know and that and then there were a lot of people living on the streets you know experiencing homelessness they used to come to me with legs filled with pus and you know all cuts and bruises and it was all you know sepsis happening you know there was a situation when this elderly man had nearly had to amputate his leg just because of the the sepsis and we managed to get him cured and he's fine now you know these things sound very uh, small for us because we have access to hospitals we have access to you know facilities whenever we want it but these people know they don't no one even cares you know and that's when I started to realize how big this is and how will these people receive support because they have no voice they have no um, you know recognition I, I, it, it's almost like these people had fallen out of the system completely and almost forgotten you know I, I don't have one story, Marty, I have so many, and these are just some that I can think of. But the thing that stood out to me was there are so many people that we have completely forgotten about, a, a whole cluster of communities that within Kathmandu, not just in the rural areas, within Kathmandu, within the city, that we need to really start looking after. Mm, yeah, those are very poignant uh, stories. Just to echo what you said, I mean, this is in the heart of urban Kathmandu. We're not talking about villages so much. So often we think when we think of, you know, development or lack of development, we think of the villages right outside of the cities. But this is in the heart of, uh, of Kathmandu Valley, like you said. So these were people who were already pre-COVID, from what you could tell, people who were being excluded, being marginalized and, and not having enough, right? Yes. Yeah, so these are people, I would say, um, 
the people living on the streets perhaps you know were always in difficulties but there were a lot of families uh, who used to you know work as daily wage workers particularly in the construction uh, area in uh, you know electricians plumbers um, they were doing well you know before covid because they would have enough money to provide for their families to you know get children into schools but when covid happened and these sort of you know daily jobs stopped then the whole you know economic situation crashed for them like some people would have savings but these people they don't usually do and they don't even have the education about saving or you know keeping i would say you know some sort of savings for the future for people like them it was a disaster and i'm not only talking about these daily wage workers we also supported a lot of families who had jobs before covid they were doing well they were earning enough to look look after themselves look after the family pay you know small loans but the covid hit them so hard that people even stopped having money to pay rents and a lot of them were evicted and came to the streets and we were supporting or providing hot meals or food bags to these people who had suddenly come to the streets because now they didn't have a job so you know during our work during covid there were in you know, a different categories of people there were people living on the street there were daily wage workers there were people who were employed before but lost job and you know had no income whatsoever and there were a very small number of people who were doing very well and due to some sort of you know economic crisis um we had to support them but but otherwise i mean as soon as the lockdowns lifted they're doing perfectly fine i would give you an example of a family where um the the uh, man was a hotel manager of a really good hotel and he lost his job due to covid and they were in the situation where they could not even feed the family and there was a newborn uh, in their family so we helped them as well to deliver the baby to provide with you know nutritious food and family food packs and so on and now as soon as the covid lifted you know he he got another job earning you know 40 50000 a month and they they're fine you know so we we had different categories of people that were seeking for help during the covid time right and and also i'd like to note that the local governments did provide some support uh i also live in lalitpur uh, the area that you're talking about and uh, i know that the lalitpur government was providing some hot meals but uh it certainly wasn't enough to cover all of the need either in lalitpur or in the other municipalities in kathmandu and i think the local governments were just caught unawares i know they didn't have um very comprehensive lists of people who were in need and now i understand one of the reasons that the lockdown has been delayed until thursday is so people who can go back now to their home villages where they do have support um they'll be able to go they'll, they'll be able to hop on a bus or however they go and so the government is actually giving these people an opportunity to leave knowing that they will be looked after with their families at home rather than having some people here who again would be on their own and need support from various sources like like hitari right that's right and i think um i think it is a it is a good uh, step that the government has taken because um you know people if they go back to the villages at this at least they have a piece of land where they can grow food they have a home uh you know they don't have to worry about you know not being able to eat they wouldn't starve to death you know but if they uh 
are stuck here for some reason and they're not able to go back, then we're looking at a major crisis, particularly with food crisis, because when there's no job, no income, how will you buy food in, in a city like Kathmandu? You know, people will only feed you for a few days or organizations will support you if you find the connections or if you find where to go, if you know where to go. Otherwise, it's just going to be a major d- disaster. So I think that's a good step. And during the lockdown as well, and the government had definitely supported what they could. But um, you know, if I have to say honestly, they could have done a little bit more than what we saw. But um, but again, at times, um, you know, when we went out to bigger communities, larger you know larger number of families, we always uh, collaborated with the local wards, and I would say um, all of them were very cooperative, and they helped us you know sort out the lists and help with the distribution. So I think uh, the the weakness that we saw during the lockdown was database. Uh, if the local governments have a proper database of families who could be in an in a crisis during times like this, uh, perhaps it would be easier for them to support and also for organizations like us to collaborate and you know extend our support to them. Okay, and do you know if there's been any work on those databases? What they did during COVID lockdown was, um, you know, we we actually found uh, some wards had databases uh, through the house owners because a lot of these families uh, stay in rents. And then uh, the when the ward was um, distributing food, a lot of these families went to them, and that's how the database started to grow. So. I just hope these databases were digitalized and, you know, they have kept it, recorded it properly and can be used again. Okay, well, I certainly hope so as well. Um, I'm curious, when I hear about your organization, it sounds like a a big group of people, but exactly how many are you who, who are doing this kind of work? So um, that's interesting, Marty, because that's what I get from people as well. You must be a lot of volunteers. But to be honest, uh, during lockdown, we were only uh, two staff and uh, it was mostly my family and volunteers who were helping. And um, today as well, um, the staff who I had, he left abroad for work and it's only me now and a set of volunteers. So during the lockdown, it was my husband, my mom, my sister, uh, you know, the, um, the cab driver Dai, who, was, who I was using during the lockdown, he was cooking for us. So we were just a bunch of, you know, maybe four or five usually three at one time and sometimes four or five people who were doing this. And now it's also the same thing. If, if the lockdown continues and we have to support, it's going to be me, a set of volunteers and my family. Wow, that's incredible that you <laughs> managed to do so much. Uh, it also explains why you were saying that, you know, what may seem like a small accomplishment, like looking after that, that pregnant young woman was actually a, a big accomplishment because you were so few people. But again, this reinforces what I was saying earlier about people stepping up, right? Uh, It is local people, foreigners and people outside of Nepal are also providing funding, yes. But so many local people throughout Nepal are stepping up and volunteering and just giving their time and giving whatever they have, which is amazing. 
Oh, absolutely. We had, you know, people who, who saw us uh, providing hot meals on the streets. They would just stop and give us donations. And uh, there were then people who started to come every week and give us donations. There were, you know, clubs, uh, youth clubs who gave us uh, rice and, you know, all kinds of food rations during the time. There were organic, uh, you know, farmers who gave us food, vegetables for free. And, um, you know, and, and many volunteers who came to just to you know, distribute or cook with us. So, it was just amazing to see everyone coming together, um, just like we had during the earthquake. So, you know, it, it, it was a blessing for us in that way. Okay, and so Thursday is coming quickly. What are you planning to do? Or will you keep going with these more medium term projects, working with individuals on their livelihoods? Will you go back to the streets and serve hot meals? What are you thinking? So um, right now we are trying to see what the situation is going to be like. Um, and having said that, I've already started getting phone calls from uh, you know people who we supported earlier, and they're asking for support already for food packs. And uh, you know when I uh, go to uh, you know work or when I go uh, somewhere, I always go through that street where we used to support, where we used to distribute hot meals. So I've been. I've been looking out for them. I've been seeing how many people have added in the last few days. So we're going to see how how it rolls out and see for a week. Um, and if it if the lockdown continues, we definitely have to look at getting back to the you know groundwork, which will be hot meals and food because that's the you know basic. Um, but we will continue doing what we have been doing for the last few months with the, um, you know, other families in the long term support. But having said that, the schools have closed and the training centers have closed. So I think that's going to be paused for some time if, if it continues. Right. And you said, I think, earlier that your funding is not a big issue right now. I mean, I'm sure you're not you're not, as they say, rolling in dough, but um, yeah. you you would have enough to keep going through at least the first 15 days of the lockdown? Um, not really, Marty, because during the COVID lockdown, we received quite a lot of support and all of that used to be utilized right away. For example, if someone gave me uh, rupees 10,000, then that would go into providing for three families or four families right away. So it was more like, you know, from one hand to another, there was no, we, we did not have any savings. Uh, so if I have to start uh, this work again, it will again be fundraising right away. Um, maybe I will start um, collecting from my family. That's what I did earlier. Um, I started to provide food meals uh, from from my from the funds that I had and from my family who supported me. So it's going to start with that, and then uh, you know I'm going to appeal to other people to support, which is again a little uh, you know tricky this time because um, everyone has had an economic crisis. You know, even even people who had money before. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a little tricky this time, but let's see how we go. Okay. And what about other organizations, you know, big, small? What about the ward uh, offices, the, the municipality? I mean, do you have any kind of links that you've maintained that might help in, in doing some of the support work? Yes, um, I am definitely going to use those networks and that I built over the last year um, and before that. 
I'm going to reach out to them again. Uh, with the wards, it might be a little slow because it's government and there's a lot of paperwork. I'm not sure. I know it's going to be slow, but I'm definitely going to reach out to organizations. Uh, for the bigger organizations, um, I would not like to name them, but I've never had any support from any large organizations. Um, I was always refused. I don't know why. Um, even though they saw the work that we had been doing. It's mostly the uh, small and medium uh, size organizations like us who supported uh, and collaborated with each other. Uh, so right now also when we're doing training for the women, I have um, collaborated with another organization called Hati Hati Nepal and we've been supporting, we've been funding, you know, uh, these trainings um, through, uh, you know, some small donors, individual donors. Um, but yeah, with large organizations, um, I don't know. I don't know where the funding goes, but we have never received support from them. So if I have to go back again, it's going to be wards on a later stage and individual donors or um, again, like, you know, medium sized organizations. Okay. Well, I guess you keep doing what's worked in the past, right? That definitely makes sense. Um, before we before we end, I'll get you to give people all the information where they can contact you and give you donations if they wish. But I just wanted to ask one other question before we do that. There's been a lot of talk about the pandemic in general and the way that the world is changing. The fact that there's there are probably going to be more pandemics like this in the future. If you could make a suggestion for a couple of changes once this COVID-19 is gone, but a couple of things that uh, societies, governments, and everyone could do to prepare for the next pandemic, what would your suggestions be? Ooh, that's, <laughs> um, there's so many things that we can you know, sort of start to do, but I think the first few things that come into my mind is particularly for the Nepalese communities is um, to start saving. Um, please save money when you can, because during a crisis like this, you know, um, Nepal, Nepalese government is still not very strong enough to look after all its citizens. So we have to look after ourselves. Um, the other thing is, I would really like to request everyone to look out for each other. You know, if, if there's a lockdown and if it continues, please watch out, see if another person is hungry. If if a person living in a small, in a tin shelter is has had any food, just look out for your neighbors if they are okay. Um, even for your family members, people living around you, neighborhood, you know, please start to build that empathy for each other because Kathmandu being a very busy place right now, we've started to, really forget our, you know, culture where we had, you know, where we used to talk to our neighbors, we used to help out if someone fell, we used to go and pick them up, which we don't do anymore, you know, so I think we should go back to our basics. And the other suggestion I would have is uh, to start maybe growing your own food, start to think of alternatives like, you know, um, rooftop farming, or, you know, things like hydroponics, a very simple ways to grow your vegetables. Um, please start to <clears throat> explore that. Right. Okay, thanks. I mean, it's a bit ironic, I guess, that people come to the big city, you know, many of them from the village, and now they're in a situation where, again, we're saying, if you can, grow your own vegetables, right? So you have lots of food to eat. Certainly makes sense. We're trying to do it like so many other people on our rooftop now. So those are good suggestions. Thank you. Okay, so let us know now. Uh, what is the best way for people 
to one, kind of follow the work that you're doing, and then two, if they're interested in donating, how would they go about doing that? So uh, please follow our Facebook page, Hiteri Crowdfunding, uh, or the website www.hiteri.org, and also our Instagram page, which is Hiteri Foundation, where you can see all our work. Um, and if you want to donate or talk to us, you can call me on 9818-499-565. Um, and uh, you can donate through eSewa, or we can provide you with a bank account as well. Okay, great. And just to say Hiteri is H-I-T-E-R-I for people like me who are not great at spelling. Kusum, thank you very much for being on the show today, uh, spending time with me to explain the work that you've done and the work that your ongoing work. And I hope you get lots of support and that people listening here today will also um, do whatever they can to support you in what's going to be uh, at least a few difficult weeks ahead. So thanks again. Thank you so much, Marty. It's, a, it's such a wonderful opportunity for me to also talk about the issues that are going to come in the future, particularly in the community. Um, and, uh, you know, for giving me this, this opportunity to also uh, perhaps appeal to people who will be interested to support what we are doing. So thank you so much.